Good morning. How's everybody doing? Tough room. How's everybody doing? Okay, let's be honest. It's Friday. We're all exhausted. What is it, like the second or third week of school? All of our kids have now gotten sick from other people at school. We've all been on antibiotics, right? Some of us are needing to go to the bathroom immediately as an effect of that. Okay, so before we get started, I wanted to just um, pose a very important question uh, that I've noticed as I've gotten older. Um, My skin has changed dramatically, and I'm wondering, as I was putting makeup on, or as I like to call it, spackle, this morning, I was wondering to myself... How far down can you actually apply concealer? How, how, what is like, how far is too far is what I'm saying. Because like, like if I just go to my neck, like I had to wear this shirt because then this is all sun damaged. You know what I mean? So then do you go to there? But then if you wear a shorter skirt, do you go from the knee down? I don't know. These are the things that I spend time thinking of. Very, very vital information that we're pondering here today. Well, I am excited because throughout the summer, the steering committee um, of moms has been meeting, praying for you guys, and I'm just looking around the room this morning, and I just want you to know how happy we are to see your faces. Um, I know it's impossible to understand, but it's like trying to explain to your children how much you love them and for them to be able to get it. When did you understand how much your parents loved you? When you had kids, right? Okay, so to try to explain that to you, we're not your moms. Well, I'm probably old enough to be some of your moms, but, but we have that love for you. We have that desire to see you grow in your faith and to love your family well and to love your God well and to serve him with your life. So... We're starting today, all three speakers are going to be speaking on this passage, and I don't know if you guys noticed our beautiful magazine that gets put together every month, Amanda Shook, who if you haven't met her, you need to meet her and hug her because this is incredible. She also designed a a printable item. Do you guys have this little thing on cardstock? Um, This is the passage that we're talking about today from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and it's called the Shema. And it was um, the Israelites' call to worship. And we wanted to make some... um, Amanda Shook designed this item. And I'm sorry, but isn't that amazing? Incredible. And what we want you to do is, of all the things that you can choose to put on your walls at home, we want you to choose to put God's Word on your walls at home. Um, And so to kind of illustrate that, I framed one of them um, just for you guys to see how beautiful it would be at your house. And today, when I was sitting here, a brand new um, Bethany mom that I just met on Wednesday morning came walking in the door, and she was our first brand-new mom here today and first brand-new mom of the year, and her name is Olga Marin, and she is going to take this home today to hang at her house. So you can get it after the meeting, okay, Olga? And what's so funny is I didn't get her last name, and then another new Olga came in. I'm like, oh, jeez. This is National Olga Day. I was like... I mean, how, that's not normal, is it? That many Olgas? I don't know. Anyway, so 
Anyway, so we're all going to be going through this piece of scripture. All three speakers today are taking different portions of it, and I'm doing the first three verses, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, which says, Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. So... How do you take that and put it into action in your marriage? What does that look like within the walls of your home? And let's be honest, because this is, you know, when you're in the middle of a marriage, the longer you get married, the more they know about you. And you can only pull it together for so long. Am I right? (laughs) Like, I was talking to a mom before the meeting about... Um, just the challenges of kids in the first week of school, and usually they can kind of hold it together pretty well for the first week, but the second week, you know, they start getting sick, they start crying a lot, they're tired, you know, the whole thing. And I jokingly said that's why we, when I did youth ministry, we used to take kids on mission trips for two weeks, not one. Because you can suck anything up for a week, right? That second week, though, it starts breaking you down. Well, then you're in a marriage. I've been married a little over 20 years, and uh, it's all out there. Is all I mean, some of it I wish I could tuck back in, but there's no tucking in. It's just out there. So how do you do that? How do you love Jesus this way? And what does that mean? And it sounds lofty and all those things, but what does that mean? How do you put legs on that? So we're going to start at the very beginning of the passage where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So let's go to the beginning. In the beginning, God created us to know him and to be known by him. Okay, so Garden of Eden. Remember that deal? God made man and woman right from the start to know, to know them and to be known by them. He did that to have a relationship with them, which I love because we serve a God who wants to know us. He made these people to know him. And then he gave them that little, you know, little clause in the contract that said, and by the way, no, no. No, we know. And they did it anyway. And um, let me just read that real quick because it's a pretty good passage, I think. So they eat the fruit. Let's see. Uh, Genesis 3, verse 4, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And boy, that is, that's what, that's what we do in our world. We try to make ourselves our own gods. When, God, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband um, who was with her, and he ate it. I'd like to defend that by just saying that was like the gift of hospitality. Anyway, so... <laughs> Even then, just generously giving. Then the eyes of both of them were na- uh, opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and, the, and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love that. You could hear him. He was just walking around. That's so cool. And... Um, They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to to eat from? And the man said, she did it. (laughs) 
I love how he stands up for his wife there. Mm. The woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the way to go, Adam, stand up. (laughs) Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, so when God's walking through the garden and he's looking for them, is it just that God just didn't have a good sense of direction and he just wasn't sure where they were or he was really bad at hide and seek? What was happening in that passage? Did he know where they were? Come on, people. Did he know where they were? Yes, he knew where they were. In that one moment, in that one moment, everything changed. Everything that was beautiful and healthy and pure and there was no shame, all of it changed. And they went from living in freedom to hiding from the very thing that they should have been running to. They were running away from it. Their perfect relationship with the one true God wasn't perfect anymore. The perfect order was completely out of order. And ever since then, we have had to be reminded, like the Israelites who this passage was used for, who, who the one is that matters the most. So... Our desire must be within the walls of our marriage. And even if you're not married, this still works for you, this piece right here. God first. And I don't mean lofty God, he's in everything. I mean, Jesus Christ needs to be first in your life above your kids, above your marriage, above your reputation, above your career. That's the first thing that matters. He, de- he demands and deserves all of our attention, love, devotion, obedience, time, the whole deal. But the more you know him and the more you run after him and hang on to him, the more beautiful he becomes. The richer your relationship is with him and the more vital it becomes. And when you do those things in your marriage... And in your life, guess what? It takes your eyes off all the stuff that maybe your spouse isn't doing that you think they should be doing. He becomes what you need instead of your husband becoming all the things you think you need. Okay, so the next piece of this passage says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I was talking with a really dear friend of mine the other day at lunch, and she was explaining to me that her husband is getting ready to transition out of a job. And in his um, final stuff that he had to fill out and all the paperwork, he had to sign something called a non-compete agreement. Have you heard of what? Have you heard of those? Okay, so a non-compete agreement, and I'm not a lawyer, okay, but I did used to watch LA Law, so I think I've got it. Um, um, so a non-compete agreement basically is like if I work in radio and I'm at one station and I leave that job, I agree for a certain amount of time that I'm not going to immediately go over to another station and reveal all the stuff that they have coming up. I'm not going to give away all their little stuff and try to compete with that other station. That is a non-compete agreement. It, it's a way for businesses to try to protect their little trade secrets and their stuff. Okay, so let me just tell you, when you give your heart 
to Jesus, your life becomes a process every minute of every day that you're going to sign a non-compete agreement with everything else in this world. So that all the stuff that tries to compete for your time and your energy and your emotion and your attention comes secondary behind the first most important priority in your life. I have read portions and sections of um, a book of confessions written by St. Augustine. And I know that sounds really lofty, but it's like very hard for me to read it because it's so deep and so beautiful. Um, and if you have time, you can actually buy a pretty inexpensive paperback copy of it on, um, online or at our bon- Barnes & Noble. It's worth your time. But this is a quote from him. It says, It is not with a doubtful conscience, conscience. It is not with a doubtful consciousness, but one fully certain that I love you, Lord. You have smitten my heart with your word, and I have loved you. Isn't that beautiful? To be smitten. I love that. To be head over heels with him and him alone. And when I am in his word and with him and following after his precepts, then I get more stable and less needy. And like they were talking about earlier, I become less of a hot mess um, because I'm content in him alone. And that takes the pressure off of my spouse to try to meet all of my emotional needs, which vary drastically and even more drastically now that I'm in menopause, which some of you heard way too much information on that earlier this morning, and I'm sorry, especially the ones that were new. Um, But let me explain like just a real practical way that that plays out within the walls of marriage. So we went through a really rough season years ago. Some of you have heard that testimony. And one of the things that happened during that very tumultuous time in our marriage is we ended up having to basically sell everything. And um, we were driving. Um, my, we bought my parents' really old Buick, but it had air conditioning, so that's all that mattered at that point. And then we also bought a Toyota Previa van that my husband's parents had for years. And you know the bubble van? You know those vans? Okay. They're like this big bubble-shaped van, and um, they have only the front windows go down, and the back windows don't even vent, at least the ones that we had. So for years and years and years and years, my father-in-law drove that van back and forth when they owned a school on North Miami Beach. He drove that van, and he smoked a pipe. No way, it gets better. He drove that van and he smoked a pipe and he took his Sharpay with him every day in that van. You know the wrinkly dogs? The wrinkly dogs that smell? Andrew? Yeah. So we got that van and I'm going to tell you it was a decade worth of compacted odor in that little thing. And then Throughout the van, the dog had, they had bought this beautiful van, brand new, fully loaded, the whole deal. And throughout the years that they owned it, that dog basically like sat in the front seat like he was a human, put his claws down the dashboard and on the way, like just scratch marks everywhere. It reeked. And the air did not work. So my children were little. Delaney was like second grade at that time, but Raina was two, and so she was still in a car seat. And the air just blew 
like hot air. So it was like, okay, I'll, uh, no, that's not going to work either. And so it reeked. And so sweet husband, he gets like a rug shampoo or thing. And he tries to shampoo the smell out and do the whole thing. No, you're not going to suck that kind of odor out of anything. Just burn it. That's, that's the only way you're going to get it out. And it was so bad. And we were brand new here. Like, it was horrifying. Like, you, I didn't, people would walk over and my windows were always down because there was no air. And they'd be like, hey. And they'd come walking over and I just put my window up. Because I was like, please don't let them come here. Please don't let them smell this fan. Please don't let them come. And I was like, really, like, I let it be the thing that embarrassed me. I let it be the thing that made me scared of letting people get to know me. It just became this, like, as if I, my van was a reflection of my soul. <laughs> so, so, after a little bit of time, we were going somewhere one day and we needed more room, so we took the van, all four of us. At the time, my husband was working construction and he was driving back and forth from Miami, so it made sense for him to use the car with air conditioning because he was literally driving like an hour away. So we used the van one day. Well, between all of these things, let me just throw in there that finally, God and I had a little talky talk. And he's like, what I tell my kids, which is the only thing you can change about this is your attitude. And I really got convicted. I'm like, Didi, you have a van and it gets you places. Zip it and just move on. This is not the worst thing in your world. So that's what I did. I zipped it, changed my attitude and was, and learned not to grip my teeth and say, okay, I'm going to do this, but to embrace it and just be grateful every time I got in a car that started. Well, not long after that, we got in the the van to go somewhere, and of course, it was 150 degrees in the van, and Matt turned on the air, which blew hot air, and he's like, this is horrible. How can you stand this? And within not very, and within pretty short order, we made arrangements and were able to scrape together money to get a different vehicle. But the beauty of that story isn't, yeah, I got a new van. It's not that. It was... I'm so glad that it wasn't me pushing my agenda and every day coming going, the van is really hot and it does not have air conditioning and I am sweaty and the baby's sweaty and instead of just submitting and letting God do what he needed to do to make it work or not work or whatever, just to, to not push my own agenda. Okay, and it says he, in the next section, it says these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. And there's a passage in 2 Corinthians where it talks about God replacing our hearts of stone with a heart of flesh. And that's what we need. We need that tremendous and beautiful heart surgery where he's scooping out all the old and putting in his self and his spirit. When I let God replace my heart piece by piece, I also need to remember that he's doing that with my spouse too. And I need to be patient I've often tried to jump in and help minister to my husband in the form of reminders and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with, like, coming alongside and talking about stuff. Don't get me wrong. But most of the time, it's because I want something for myself. I'm just being honest. And that is no bueno. See, I'm bilingual. I'm culturally relevant. It's no bueno at all. So when I take my hands off... And let God do his work. There's something beautiful that happens. And it's richer and deeper. And it's more than worth your time to do that. So that's my prayer for you. To love the Lord your God.
with everything you have, sign and re-sign every single day that non-compete clause and give your life fully to him first and watch what it does in your marriage. I love you guys.